Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Welcome to My Millennial Career. I'm Shelley. I'm a HR professional. And I'm Emily, and I work in customer experience and recruitment for Forsyth's Recruitment and HR. Shell, do you remember back when we did the pay episode? I think it was episode number three, and we got towards the tail end of what was quite a long conversation, and I signed us up to do a follow-up Q&A, yep. bonus app. Well, that's today. That's what we're doing right now. Nice. So, a bunch of questions here that we're just going to do, and I guess a bit of a quick-fire manner, if that's cool with you, yep. and try and get some of those answers and extra bits of gold yeah. for everyone that's been asking. And since that conversation, we had a lot of listeners submit questions, so we're going to jump straight into those questions. So our first listener question comes from Hannah and she's already listened to that pay episode. She's gone away. She's had the conversation, but her manager has actually said not now. So it's not a no, it's a not now. Shell, what does she do? Yeah, I think Hannah needs to aim to reconvene or reschedule that conversation probably the next six to 12 months. So you don't want to do it too soon. Because what we want to show and what Hannah needs to show is that she has, I guess, built up that evidence in the interim to support a pay rise. So she might be working really hard on a few key areas of her performance to then warrant that pay rise. And when she has that conversation again, she's best placed to get the outcome that she's hoping for. And if Han hasn't got some feedback on why she wasn't offered that pay rise at that time of the conversation, would it be worth her asking for that so she can actually be quite pointed in in the next six months in building up that evidence? What I would do if I was Hannah is go and approach your manager and say, what do you see being the key things I need to focus on in my performance and how can I do that? Like, do you have any advice? And then she can go away and work on that. And then when that follow-up conversation happens, say six to 12 months, she's actually worked on those core things that her manager has told her to work on. And that then gives her that evidence. It gives her those examples to support her when she next has her pay discussion. Love that. Our next question was from a 22-year-old finance graduate who's currently earning 70K. So he sent through this question saying, I've secured my finance grad job within the company I've been interning for over the last two years. My income over the three-year period, first year intern started at 40K, second year intern was at 40K. And then my third year as a grad starting rate was 70000 My graduate position, however, is my old manager's job. The role gives me substantial visibility of salaries throughout the company. So I know that they would have been roughly paid around eighty to 85 k And so now I've taken on my manager's old role because they've left, knowing that they were paid eighty k. How should I have a conversation about this in relation to my pay, my career progression and my experience? I get a little bit nervous on this question just around the level of assumptive knowledge. So what I mean by that is this finance graduate is not 100% certain that their manager was paid 80 to 85K, 
but they have reason to feel like they were probably paid roughly that amount. I also have some questions around just the responsibilities of the role. And then on top of that, I've got some other questions that are unanswered that go to the external market. So what I would do in this situation is I would actually pause for a moment. I would put to the side the history around that manager and and what we think that person was doing and what we think they were paid. I would go back to the pay episode and I would follow those steps. So I'd start with understanding what is the role that this graduate is doing in comparison to the market? What does the market offer typically for a role like that? And then flow through to having a conversation if it makes sense to and so on and so forth as we discussed in that episode. And I think going to the thing of what that old manager was paid, that's based on the manager. So it's those things of their skills, their background, they might have their master's degree in that field and you're starting as a graduate. So take it slow, ease in. 70K for a graduate position, obviously in certain fields is the norm, but comparatively across the market for graduates is quite well paid. So I would say just chill. Like just ease in. It's going to be all right. Take it slow. You don't want to jump into those conversations, particularly in the early part of your employment where you're still getting to know the business, getting to know the organisation, how they they approach those types of conversations. Yeah. Careful not to be too blinkered by your one organisation as well. All right. Ella from Perth. What do you do if you find you are paid higher than the market? Can we still ask for a pay rise, Shell? Yes, you can. You can definitely still ask for a pay rise. I guess the market's a broad representation of what people in similar jobs earn, but pay is dependent on the nature of the business and how critical that role is to the success of the business. So for example, say Ella is working in software development for a tech company, that role is going to be quite critical to the success of that company, as opposed to say she was working in software development for a construction company where in that industry, it's probably easy to outsource or it could be done in-house. So those decisions about is this role critical to the business, is it core business, will impact how that role is paid. All right, back over the other side of the country now to Sydney, we have Mark and he's wondering, Shell, if businesses have to pay CPI increase, so consumer price index increase. All right. So some of this stuff can be a bit jargony. So I'm just going to simplify it down. Consumer price index is a way of measuring inflation. So in a nutshell, CPI measures the increase of the cost of goods and services that a household purchases. So it's measured by the ABS and it's in percentage based on each quarter. So the ABS being the Australian Bureau of Statistics. Thank you. So medium and large organisations will tend to look at CPI as part of their remuneration or pay process. And I guess as an indicator, last year in June 2019, CPI was sitting around 1.5%. So we've seen really quite low growth over the last few years. And average wage growth has been, we've seen really low movement in that as well, which is around 2.5%. So that means that we're not seeing a lot of increase in wages across the board in Australia. And if you haven't received a considerable increase in the last few years, that's actually consistent with the average Australian. Now, back to the question, just to give you that background, there's generally no requirement for an organisation to provide a salary increase in accordance with the CPI lift or increase externally. The only cases where it might happen is if there's an enterprise agreement in which it's kind of indicated in that. So I don't think it's a driver of pay or salaries. I think the main thing, and we talked about this in the pay episode, is performance. That is generally the biggest impact on pay increases. Does that all make sense? Makes sense to me. I do see some people who 
it's just common practice. It's become historical practice in a business or in the organization they've been in where they do increase salaries in line with CPI each year. And then that person might move to a new business and have thought that that was the norm across the board and it's not, and they get a little bit of a surprise there. So uh, even sometimes I think it happens just through practice as opposed to an enterprise agreement, but certainly agree with your answer and it all makes sense to me. Great. All right. Now we have an anonymous question submitted. It's from a 30-year-old operations coordinator who's earning $68,000 a year. What tips do you have for negotiating pay when you're accepting a new job? This is a hard part and something I find really challenging. Any strategies that you have? And Em, you see this a lot in recruitment. Can you give us your tips? I have four tips here. So I'll run through them. I would wait until you're in a position of power. Now, the recruitment process is such that the time at which you have the most power in that dynamic is when you are the preferred candidate. How do you know when you're the preferred candidate? We've talked about this before where if they're checking your referees, that's a really good indicator, but also if they're offering you the job. They might come out and tell you that you're the preferred candidate, but if they don't, uh, usually it's when they're offering you the job. Enter into that negotiation knowing what your walkaway price is. Be really open and specific about what you actually want. So don't dance around it. If you've got these two parties, yourself being one, the employer being the other, and no one really says what they actually want, it's going to be really difficult to get what you want. But also consider all levers. So that might not be just financial ones. There could be other non-monetary benefits that you're interested in that could get you over the line, or it could even be a commitment of a review once you've proven yourself. So maybe at that three-month mark, six-month mark, you're then no longer or you're less of an unknown quantity. So you might have a little bit more bargaining power. When you're doing the contract negotiation stage, how often do people actually step into that conversation and look at increasing the salary, for example? More often than not. So the majority of the time there would be a negotiation. And where I see that it's really well done is following those four things I've just outlined and considering it a part of a bigger conversation about your employment, not just a monetary one. So I think you can actually use the cues or the I guess sentiments that we've talked about in the pay episode around graciousness, around patience, around balance, around openness, and having a conversation to get a really positive outcome at this stage, just like you might 12 months into the job. I think that's good to know that from your experience, most people are going in and possibly asking for more than what's in the contract. Yeah. And look, I even know some employers who see that as being, if it's done in the right way, really respectfully, see that as being a major bonus because they get some insights into how that person's commercial brain works, how they value themselves and what they feel like they can bring. But again, remembering you need to know what your walkaway price is and you need to be open to the fact that like any pay conversation, you might not get exactly what you want. Yeah, that's great. All right. We have a question from another anonymous person, 23-year-old copywriter earning 50000 Hey, ladies, in the pay episode, you mentioned that you would be asking for a pay rise after you've consistently worked lots of overtime. My question is, what happens regarding overtime once you've got the pay rise? I work in a small business where it's been explicitly stated in my contract that there's no reimbursement for overtime. Does that mean that if I'm doing an extra 20 to 30 minutes each day, that these are just my new hours now following the pay rise? It doesn't seem right to go straight back to working the original finish time directly after having a pay increase, but I don't want to be working this overtime forever. Thanks. This is an interesting one because it reads at first like it's uh, somewhat black and white. 
But I actually, uh, I guess on a second review and considering it a little further, would take this as being quite a grey and very personal situation. And what I mean by that is you need to ultimately work out what you're trying to achieve, what's most important to you, and what you're comfortable with in getting there. But I'd also encourage you in doing that to actually hit reverse on your mindset and think about this beyond just pay for hours worked. If you're talking to sort of the minutes per week that you might be doing overtime, it's perhaps getting a little bit into dangerous territory. When we talk about excessive overtime, it's certainly more than this question's outlined. But let's move away from that and let's think about what is the give and take? How does it all work out in the wash? What goes around comes around? A little bit of that mentality and this idea that you might actually have the opportunity to send personal text messages or take personal calls at work. You might have the opportunity to go and grab a cup of tea for five or 10 minutes between breaks. So not necessarily while you're at lunch, so to speak. You might be able to rock in a little bit late without anyone asking questions. So you might catch the bus or it might take you that little bit longer to get there in traffic and no one's going to pull you up on that. What are all those things that if you were sitting on the other side of this table you're actually using work time in inverted commas for your personal gain. And maybe that's completely okay. And that's all part of the dynamic of the employment relationship. And in the long game, you can get your head around, therefore, that little bit of overtime that you're doing each week, because otherwise you're getting down to tin tacks. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think I love that M. Give and take is so important in the employment relationship and just having a bit more of that balanced view and looking at it from the side of the employer can give you that fresh perspective. All right. Chris is asking for a friend or so he tells us. (laughs) His employer or his friend's employer, I should say, has acknowledged that that person is industry underpaid and has suggested that it would be rectified. But it's been months. He or she keeps asking what's going on and keeps getting fobbed off. What sort of approach should they take to make it happen ASAP? Cool. So I've made an assumption in my response to this that uh, Chris isn't being paid lower than the award. If he is, it's a different scenario. But let's just say it's based on the industry and the external market he's paid lower or she. So then we look at what are the options? I see there being four options uh, that Chris could take. Now, Chris Chris's knows, friend. Chris's, Chris's friend. friend. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> he's asking for a friend. So there's four options. And obviously, you need to work out based on the context, based on what you want from your career, which one to take. So we're just putting these ideas out there. So the first one is you stay there and you just put up with it. That might be a good option, depending on how you look at it. The next is stay, but you might change the conversation. So maybe the pay angle isn't working. It's not getting you the leverage or or the outcome that you want. So what are the other benefits you could look at as part of that? Do you look at asking them to fund your study, to uh, support you in giving you more flex time? I don't know. It could be just another couple of benefits. The third option is that you leave. And so you start working on what's my exit strategy? How long am I willing to put up with this? And in which case, what am I doing to move on if that's the case? And then the fourth option I see if you're in a kind of medium to large business, you might talk to HR or you might talk to your next level manager because it could be that that manager just hasn't made the decision because they haven't had those conversations with people in their network. So pursuing another avenue could be the difference. And in that conversation, I'm coming back to this idea that don't catch anyone by surprise. So you would set that up to say, hey, can I meet with you at this time? can still be somewhat casual and informal depending on the nature of the workplace, but hey, can I meet with you at this time about this in brief? And then when you sit down, just keeping it really cool, calm and collected. Yeah, definitely. 
So our last question, M, is from a 27-year-old architect grad who's earning 59000 So they've said, I'm just about to move jobs and I'll be going back to my old workplace with a higher level qualification and more experience. But the salary that my old workplace has offered me is the same as the starting salary at my current job, which I've been doing for over a year. I expected a pay rise as part of the offer. What should I do about this? What's your thoughts? If you've already accepted the role and signed the contract, then you might be stuck between a bit of a rock and a hard place. And as we talked on in episode three, may need to wait 12 months. We went into detail there about the how, what, when and why of a pay rise. So maybe not the news you're looking for, but hopefully in 12 months, you'd get a good outcome if you follow our guidelines there. If though you've not actually accepted the offer, so they've made the offer, but you haven't sort of signed or or verbally committed to something, then I'd recommend reflecting on all the reasons you're considering leaving your job and starting this new job. And I'd encourage you in particular to remember that it's probably not just about the money. So when we leave a role, we're not just chasing money. Then I'd work out what is your walk away price? Do your homework on the market rates rather than just thinking about your own experience and the skills that you're building or the time that you've been in your profession before you enter into a negotiation. The story that sits around your pay expectations really needs to be objective. And again, we've talked about this a lot before. Keep it objective first, and then you can complement that objectivity with the evidence that is more personal to you and what you can contribute and how you've performed in the role. Yeah, and I think in this example, this person knows the culture of the organisation they're wanting to walk back into. And so they can use their knowledge to influence how they would have the conversation One of those things at the outset of employment or when we're at the office stage, we don't often know the culture around pay. So you really got to try to vibe it a little bit of going, oh, I wonder how this workplace deals with pay conversations. And for this person, they know. So they can actually use that information they've already got there. That's actually such a good point. And I'm thinking about this idea of we're trying to warm this person up or that employer up. You know what is going to have them feel turned on by the conversation or turned off by the conversation in regards to you. It is difficult in negotiations to not leave a bit of a bitter taste in anybody's mouth. So leverage, I love that you've pointed out such a good piece of gold, leverage what you know and use that to make sure that you're being successful, not only in achieving the best pay that you can for yourself right now, but also achieving the best entry back into that workplace that you know so that it's all everyone's really looking forward to it and it's all happy days as you commence that journey number two with them. Yeah and if I take away anything from this discussion and that we've had it's a long game. Yeah. It's not the short-term wins like look at the long-term gain and maybe you do sacrifice some of that pay stuff for now on the basis that it's a great company, great culture, great organization to work with and put in those hard yards early on And the pay stuff will follow. It just comes, it'll come naturally, I think. Absolutely, it will. So look, let's wrap it up there. That was our last question. Thank you to everybody who submitted their questions and so far their stories as well. Most of them are coming through the My Millennial Money Facebook group. And what I'm loving seeing is a real increase in the career conversation. So we can take over the finance one a little bit as well. (laughs) There's a lot of good content coming out of everyone as peers sharing their experience. So please do that. Shell and I will jump in with our two cents where we can. We love to give our two cents. We do, our opinions. (laughs) Uh, And we might even grab more questions as we go and, and use those in future episodes. So please keep them coming. Great. Thanks for hanging out.